Good morning. Hope you guys are good. Um, been really uh, encouraged by where things are going right now. I feel like we're getting some traction as a church in the direction we've been going and, and the messages we've been uh, talking through and uh, what God's been showing us. And feel like a lot of things are starting to really come together. Um, been encouraged talking to some people this week about the things that God's stirring in them and the things that he's showing them. And, and so um, we're going to continue in, in this line of messages that we've been in. We're actually going to um, today take uh, this time to kind of recap where we've been. We're going to look at uh, this first crack in the foundation as we've been talking about of the church and and really uh, try to bring all this together because I want us to be able to see the big picture of what we've been talking about. Sometimes it's easy to hear messages and, and they seem disjointed or um, just kind of on their standing on their own, but these really build on each other. And so we're going to um, be looking at that today at kind of how these things all come together uh, to, to tell us one thing, one message. And, and so I'm um, going to try out the computer thing again. Didn't go so good at nine. My fault. I broke something back there. But um, we're going to try it again today. So I've got this signal of how to tell them to turn it on where I can control it. Could y'all cut that on back there? And yeah, hey, it works. Good. Uh, at nine, I had no notes. And so they left really confused. But anyway, hopefully you'll fare better. Um, there was something that I wanted to encourage you with today. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22, I was thinking about this this week. Um, this is what it says. It says, in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And I wanted to highlight that word built because I feel like this is where we really are right now as a church. I believe God is building us to something. I don't believe it's just a you know, Sunday to Sunday kind of meandering around kind of thing. I believe God is building us to something. He's building his church. And so I want you to kind of think about that. In fact, this week, I would encourage you, let's be praying, God, continue to build us, continue to stir us up and build us into this temple, not a temple of stone and mortar, but a temple of living, breathing people who um, have come to know Christ, a living temple of God where his spirit dwells. It's not just meaning in the individual. That is true that the spirit of God lives in us, but he also lives in us corporately. So let's pray that God would continue to build us up. We're being built for a purpose. We're being built into something. And so let's continue to pray that. I um, also want to remind you, I've been talking about this a lot, this purpose. Um, in fact, you know, fulfilling our uh, our one purpose being to fulfill our, our purpose, our original purpose, really, by filling the earth with God's image and transforming it in a way that brings him glory. It begins in Genesis 1.26 with our original purpose, and it's, it goes throughout Scripture that this is still his intended purpose. This is what we just sang about, right, that all the earth would sing his praise. All the earth would be renewed um, with the gospel and the power of the Spirit, that all the earth would praise him. And adore him. And so that's where we've been looking at. That's what we're building towards. Every message is building us towards that. It's also going to help us do two things to grow to spiritual maturity. Um, we need to grow up in Christ, we need to be prepared uh, for doing God's work in the world, and also to move us from this pastoral or dependency model of ministry that we've been talking about. Now, our creative folks got a hold of this and made it look a lot better than mine. 
I'm, I'm working on it. I'm trying to get better. But we've been looking at this. And on the left is really this pastoral model. It's a dependency model where people have a tendency to depend on staff or a handful of leaders. We want to work towards the one on the right where um, we see that leaders are developed throughout the body of Christ, that people are being equipped throughout the body of Christ. And ultimately, each part of the body begins to do its work. I want to show you something, though. I was talking with a friend this week. If you notice, there was just a slight shift to the one on the right. The way we see it built up in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, where that right side came from, is that Jesus has given the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry so that each part of the body does its work. But in reality, this is kind of how it happens. Um, If you look back at this one, it almost looks like it's still got a hierarchy. It seems like there's almost still a mediator between the people being equipped in Jesus. But that's not actually the way it works. Everybody is connected to Christ in the body of Christ, right? We all have this relationship with God. And so when you think about this, you think about it this way. Like your head, your mind never tells your foot to tell your hand to do something. It communicates from your head to your foot communicates from your head to your hand. Same thing here. We all are connected to the head. The way people are equipped is as we walk through life together, side by side, in this mutual relationship with each other. And so one of the things we need to do is grow to spiritual maturity, being prepared to do God's work in the world. The other thing is we've got to get away from this model on the left and get into this model on the right, where each one of us are being built up and equipped to do Um, our part in the body. And so we're going to see that over time. We're going to continue growing in this. Some of you, if you've been here, you've seen this as well. Um, We've been looking at this first crack here um, in this foundation. The foundation of the church is Jesus. There is no other foundation, but sometimes in how we communicated things, um, it seems that there's been cracks or some places that the church has has been weakened. Um, and, and so we've been looking at this. And one of these things we've been looking at is that in many ways, there's been no clear call to follow Jesus. And so this is what we've been looking at the last four weeks, answering these questions. Who is he? Who am I seeking? Or why would I follow? Um, or what am I seeking? What will it cost me? Is it worth it? And we've been looking at those. Today, we're going to bring all of those together and see how they help us to fill in this first crack and understand more about what it means to follow Jesus. And so I want to pray for us. We're going to jump into this thing, and we're going to wrap up four weeks in the next 25 minutes, 35 maybe. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. Lord, I do thank you that you've called us. You've you've come to us, Lord. You've made us right with you, Lord. And and I pray, God, we wouldn't take that lightly. I pray, God, you continue to stir us. Build us up, Jesus. Build your church, Lord, as you promised. And God, help us to become everything you desire for us to be. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many of you, as a child, you may still do it today, I don't know, um, 
I don't think as many people do this as they used to, but how many of you as a child or growing up used to drink out of the hose pipe outside? You got hot in the summertime playing basketball, doing something in the yard, and instead of going in, you just got the hose pipe and, and you drank out of the hose. Raise your hand one more time. Look how many people didn't die from drinking out of the hose pipe. Now we drink it out of bottles, right? I guess you could argue maybe it wasn't as polluted or whatever back then, um, but still sometimes drinking out of the hose is a good thing. And so... Um, Today is going to be not so much like drinking out of a hose pipe as it is drinking out of a fire hose, okay? There's a lot of stuff to cover, and so kind of get ready. Um, we're going to go through some things pretty quickly, but I want us to be able to hit this and bring all of this together in what we've been talking about. If you've missed a message in this, I'd still encourage you to go back and listen, but um, today we want to kind of give a summary of this, to bring this together so we can see what God's been doing over the last four weeks a little more clearly. Now, the first message, how many of you remember us talking about this? Who is he? Anybody remember that? Four weeks ago. No, it's a long time ago, right? I can't remember yesterday, much less four weeks ago. But we did. We talked about this, I promise. We talked about who is Jesus. And in this, we began to look at how different people saw Jesus um, even when he was walking on the earth. And so go to John chapter three with me. John chapter three. We'll be in the gospel of John a good little bit today. John chapter three. I wanna just read the first couple of verses there. It says in John 3, one, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. So this man, Nicodemus, was a big deal in the Jewish community. He was one of their religious leaders. He was also one who helped govern the people there. Um, and, and so he was a big deal in, in this community. And it says, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. And so what's this Nicodemus? And we know Nicodemus had more encounters with Jesus throughout his life. But at this point in this scripture, what we see is that Nicodemus saw Jesus as a great teacher, a teacher who's come from God. We talked about this. This is one of the ways people saw him. They were often amazed at his teaching. They saw him as a great teacher. What was another thing we said that some people might've saw Jesus at or did see Jesus as in that day? Anybody remember another one? A prophet. You remember that? Where, um, let me go ahead and run through some of these. Bunch of them. Ha <laughs> ha. But as a prophet, remember John 7 40, Matthew 16 16. A lot of people saw Jesus as a prophet, right? You go up there to, uh, uh, the second one from the top, a wise philosopher. It'd be easy for people to look at Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about turning the other cheek and all these things and go, wow, that's a great philosophy of how you should live life, right? You look at John 7, 12, Jesus is at a festival and, and he is uh, there and the crowd saw him as a good man. They said, Jesus is a good man, but others in the crowd said, no, he deceives the people. So you've got right there in the same crowd, some who said he's a good man, some who said he deceives the people. You go to John 7, 41, same, same area of scripture. Others amongst them said he's the Messiah. So some of them saw him as the anointed one, the one who had come to rescue and save Israel, the Jewish people. 
Others, Mark 3, 20 through 21, they said he was crazy. Jesus' brothers, they thought he was crazy. They were, he was a lunatic. He was an embarrassment. When we look at that, we see that they even thought he was crazy. In Mark 3, 22, the religious leaders said he was evil. That the things he was doing, he was doing them through the power of Satan, not through the power of God. And so we see all these different images and pictures of how people saw Jesus in that day. And if you fast forward almost 2,000 years, you still see today that a lot of people still view Jesus through one of these lenses. And so there's still the same kind of thought about who he is today. Some people see him, man, he taught some great things. He had a great philosophy of life. He's a good man. He's a deceiver. He's a prophet. Yeah, he's the Messiah. He's the God of the universe, the Savior. He's crazy. He's evil. And so we see all of these in John 6, 69. There's John 6, yeah, 69. That's a lot of sixes and something there. Peter declares he's the Holy One. And see, here's the thing. Who did Jesus claim to be? You remember looking at this? We looked at the seven I am statements that Jesus made. Jesus made these seven statements, and we looked at that, how they were logged back to Jesus stakes his identity in an Old Testament passage. When Moses was being called by God to go and deliver a message to Pharaoh, the message of let my people go, they've been in slavery and God's now sending Moses to tell Pharaoh, let his people go. And, and Moses says, well, when I do this, Moses is a little nervous about this. And when I do this, who should I say sent me? And God says, tell them that I am sent you. I am who I am. The great I am has sent you. What did he mean by that? Basically by that statement, he meant this, that the eternal, all-powerful, ever-present God of the universe is the one who sent you. The eternal, all-powerful, ever-present God has sent you. That should have got Pharaoh's attention, right? Well, when Jesus begins to state who he is, he goes back and he begins to declare to people that I am these things. This was not on accident. This was Jesus declaring the same God who sent Moses to set his people free. That God is now here to set you free. And he begins to declare this through these I am statements. Here are some of those that we looked at. John 6, 35, I'm the bread of life. What did you mean by that? I'm the source of spiritual life. Bread in scripture was a symbol of spiritual life. He says, listen, I'm the one who gives the spiritual life. John 8, 12, I'm the light of the world. What do you mean? I come and I expose both good and bad. I'm the standard. As I expose what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad. But I'm also the scale. And it's when you look at me and you look at yourself that you see how far short you come. He's, but then Jesus is also the payment, the price that makes up the difference. The payment to ransom us from our sin. And so as Jesus comes into the world, he exposes what's good, what's bad. We'll read in just a second where in John 1, it says the true light was coming into the world. 
And so he exposes, he brought truth, the light of truth to the world. John 10, 9, he says he's the gate or the door. What's he mean? I'm the gate to the Father or into the kingdom. I'm the door into the kingdom of God, into the Father's presence. John 10, 11, I'm the good shepherd. What's he telling us? He's saying, I'm the one who's gonna lay down his life. If you look at John chapter 10, he compares the shepherd to a hireling. He says, listen, a hireling, if he's in the, 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 the sheep pen and, and the wolf comes or the bear or the lion or whatever comes, he's saying, what's he gonna do? He's gonna flee. Why? He doesn't love the sheep. But Jesus says, he's the good shepherd. What's he saying? I'm gonna lay down my life for you. And I'm the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. Who are the sheep? His people. John eleven twenty five. 25, I'm the resurrection and the life. What's he telling us? He's telling us, listen, I give new life. I take what was dead and I bring it to life. I'll raise you up from death to life spiritually. And one day I'll raise your body to life again as well. I give new life. John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm, not just the way into the kingdom. I'm not just the way into the Father, but I'm also the truth that will guide you how to get there. And I'm also the life. John 17 tells us that eternal life is to know the Father. He's saying, listen, I'm the way to him. I'll guide you there. I'll be the way there. Listen, I can take you to the one who gives life. John 15, one, I'm the true vine. Jesus is telling us in that, look, I'm not just the source of life, but I'm the sustainer of it. Remember in John 15, where he talks about how if we abide in him, we'll produce fruit, much fruit. So he's saying, I'm not just the, 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 the source of life, but I'm the sustainer. I don't just give you new life. I don't just bring you to spiritual life, but I sustain that life as you continue walking with me. And that's really what this whole thing is about when we look at filling in this call, this clear call to discipleship, this crack in the foundation, is it's about continuing with God. It's about continuing. So if we think about this, guys, and we go back and we look at, at, at these um, things, if he's just a great teacher, if he's just a wise philosopher, a good man, a if he's a deceiver, if he's a prophet, if we don't see him as the Messiah, or we think he's crazy. Listen, what's, what do we do? How do we respond to this? There's, we respond any way we want to. However we want to respond, right? There's really no responsibility to respond any certain way. Just respond how you want to. But if Jesus is all of these things, the source of life, the truth of God that comes into the world, not just to expose it, but to save it, the, the door into the kingdom, the good shepherd who laid down his life for his people that they could have life, the resurrection and the life. He gives life to the dead, the way, the truth, and the life. If he's the true vine, then what's our response? What should our response be here? Can you think about that? If he's the, the, the bread of life, the light of the world, the door into heaven, the door to the kingdom, the good shepherd who lays down his life, all of those things, what should my response be in light of that? It makes me think about um, the verse in Romans 12, 1, where Paul writes this to, to, to the church. He says, listen, in view of God's mercy, offer yourself as living sacrifices, 
What's he telling us? In view of who God is, in view of what God's done, the reasonable thing to do is to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. In other words, to give him all of our life. And so we come to the next question. That was week one. And so then we come to this question. Why would I follow Jesus? And Justin preached this message. But why would I follow? In light of what we just saw in who Jesus is, it kind of becomes a no-brainer in a way. So the first reason I would follow is because of who he is. And when I see that, um, listen, that, that, that really makes it where the question should become, why wouldn't I follow if I see that, if I see who he is? And, and so the first reason when we look at this is because of who he is. The second reason, though, is because of what he's done. Why would I follow? One, because of who he is, but two, because of what he's done. This is why I would follow. And Justin talked about this. Go back to John chapter one, flip back a few pages. Why would I follow? I want to begin reading in John 1 verse 9. It says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and through, though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. What's the first thing that Jesus did. Jesus came to us. He came to us. Here's what's amazing about this. This should be amazing to us. Listen, he came to us even though, as John 1 says, we rejected him. We rejected him, but he still came to us. And maybe that doesn't seem amazing, but put yourself in Jesus's place. How many of y'all do that? People reject you. What do we do? Y'all figure it out then, right? That's, that's how I would probably respond. Y'all reject me, turn your back on me. You, you, you did this, then hey, I'm gonna let y'all figure it out. I'm gonna go play in the rest of the universe. I can start a new one in seven days anyway, right? But Jesus came to us. Jesus walked in our shoes. So there was never a plan for, for, of salvation that would work where Jesus wasn't, wasn't able to come into our place. He had to walk where we walk. He had to become one of us. It wasn't something he could do from some remote place. He had to come and walk in our place, walk in our shoes, experience what we've experienced. And see, here's the crazy thing about Jesus is Jesus knows the pain and the price for our sin because he became that. And see, here's the awesome thing about it. If we're in Christ, we put our faith in Jesus, we become a follower of Christ, then we'll never know the pain that Jesus knew because of our sin. We'll never be separated from the Father in the way that Jesus was separated. We'll never experience God's wrath the way Jesus experienced it. 
And so Jesus came to us is number one. Number two, look at verse 29 in John 1. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave his testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him, but the one who came to me baptized, to, came the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I've seen and testify that this is God's chosen one. And so when we read this, we see the second thing that Jesus did. Jesus didn't just come to us. Jesus came for us. He came for us. We see that in this passage you look at this, and, and John the Baptist sees Jesus coming. He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's talking about the sacrifice. You go and read in Hebrews chapter 10, and the writer of Hebrews tells us in verses one through, I think it's four, he tells us, listen, he says, the, the law or all of this Old Testament rules and sacrifices, all of this stuff, it was just a shadow of the good things that were to come, that are to come. And he says, listen, all of the sacrifices that were made by, by the Jews, by the Israelites, by the, in, in the Old Testament temple, all of the sacrifices that were made, they were pointing us to someone else. He says, listen, all of those sacrifices, they could not take away sin. You go to verse 11 and he talks about how the priests stand day after day and, and they, they sacrifice these animals, these killing animal after animal after animal. And he says, yet the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. They couldn't cleanse the conscience. So they had to continue sacrificing. He says, listen, the, the, the only thing that this was was a reminder of sin. It could never take it away. So when John the Baptist sees Jesus coming, he's recognized by seeing the Spirit descend upon him at his baptism that he is the one who's come to redeem Israel, to, to set them free he says, behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. To take it away, to not try to appease it, to not try to make it where it's not so bad, but to lift it off. And it's not to lift off the sin from those who've done some sort of bad things. It was to lift off every sin to realize that Jesus didn't just take some sin upon himself, he took it all. And in his baptism, you're like, why would Jesus be baptized? Jesus was identifying with our sin. Not just some of it, but all of it. That's what's amazing about this, guys. What did Jesus do? He took the worst of us. so that we could be reconciled with him. That no one in this room today is so far gone, so, so sinful in their life that the arm of God is too short to save them. She's excited. 
But that's the good news, right? Yeah. That's the good news. Jesus didn't just come to us. He came for us. He took our place, the wrath and judgment that was due to us because of our sin. Jesus stepped in our place and took it for us. That's one of the reasons I want to follow. The third reason, go to John 35. Let's keep reading from where we were. 135. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? What were they asking him? Where are you staying? They wanted to continue with him. Again, that is the whole point of following Jesus. Jesus, we continue in his presence. Doesn't that make sense? Like if Jesus is walking that way and we go, I didn't go, well, you can't continue in his presence. Why do we follow to continue in his presence? We kind of jump to some kind of morality thing. No, it's walking with Jesus. If you'll just walk with Jesus, Jesus will take care of your morality. Jesus will take care of your sin. You just walk with him and you see him move this way. He moves that way. You move that way. You move this way. Guess what? Pretty soon you're going to begin to look like him more than you look like the old you. His power, his authority begins to work in you to do for you, in you, and through you what you can't do for you. If you could do it, Jesus wouldn't have had to take your place. But we were helpless to do it, so he did it for us. And because of that, we should worship him for eternity. But here we see this. Jesus not only came to us, Jesus not only came for us, but Jesus invites us. What's he invite us to do? Continue in his presence. What they were asking is, Jesus, we want to go with you. Jesus brings them along. Jesus went to the worst of the worst, the ones that nobody else would have picked. He said, hey, come follow me. They continued with him. We see this. The last one, go to John 140. It says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. So John the Baptist is telling him, look, Y'all need to go after him. I've been telling you about him, so go after him. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be, how many of you were here when Justin preached this message? Y'all remember him reading this passage? Y'all remember when he said Peter's name right here? He said something different. He's way smarter than me, so I'm going to go with the way he said it. I don't know if Justin's here. To, right, he's back there in the back. He's smarter than I am, so I'm going to go with the way he said it, but I never heard it said like this because he probably went to some website and listened to how you're actually supposed to say it. But I think he said something like Kepha. Sounded like Mufasa. <laughs> he was like Kepha. I'm like, Kepha? Who's Kepha? And I'm looking, I'm like, oh, he means Cephas. 
See, I like Cephas because Cephas sounds like he's from Hope You Like It. You know what I'm saying? Sounds like he's from down South Georgia somewhere. And so he's like, Kepha. I'm like, Pfft. so I'm going to go with Cephas. Sounds like your uncle, doesn't it? Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Kepha, which when translated is Peter. But the point of this and what Jesus is telling him is that Kepha, Cephas, I'm going to transform you. I'm going to take you from this man who has been tossed to and fro by everything that's come along in life and who's going to continue to be tossed to and fro for some time. But, but once my spirit is in you and you have a really this, this revelation of who I am and the spirit is working with you and you're continued with me, Peter, I'm going to make you like a rock and not even the gates of hell are going to be able to move you. It's what God wants to do in all of our lives. It's a transformation. I started going back to the gym about 12 weeks ago. Thanks for not noticing. Um, I've been working hard too, man. Anybody at that gym can tell you. I, I know they can tell you. They, they, see me, they see me in here all the time or see me in there all the time. Miss Angie, she can tell you too. When I leave there, I look like you wet me with a hose pipe. I'm talking about working. Nothing. When I first started, I lost three pounds. Zero after that for like 11 weeks. And here's the thing I've noticed is like when I wake up in the morning, this story doesn't have a lot of bearing, but anyway, when I wake up in the morning and I look in the mirror, I'm kind of like, hey, I might've made some progress. But then at night when I get ready to go to bed and I take my shirt off again and look at the mirror, I'm like, what happened? <laughs> like, where'd it go? Like, did I eat that much today? But it was this transformation, right? But, but I, I can't transform me in that way. Look, Jesus transforms. That's what he's promising Peter. He's saying, listen, you walk with me. I'm going to transform you. I'm going to grow you up. I'm going to mature you. Remember the first thing we talked about? I'm going to mature you, that first goal. Let's grow to spiritual maturity. How does that happen? By walking with Jesus, by spending time with him in his word and prayer with other believers growing. The next question, I'm gonna combine kind of the, the, the last two. What will it cost and is it worth it, all right? Mr. Butch preached that message on what will it cost. Go to Matthew chapter 16. Flip backwards there to the first gospel, Matthew chapter 16. Verse 21, it's where Jesus begins to predict his death. It says in verse 21, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you're stumbling block to me. You not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And what's causing Jesus to stumble? He's, Peter's throwing this out there like, look, you don't have to do this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. 
What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he'll reward each person according to what they have done. When we look at this question, what will it cost? Um, it kind of comes down to a very short understanding. And we can go and look at other passages where Jesus says something very similar. When we answer the question, what will it cost? It costs everything. It may not mean that we do like he tells the rich young ruler, rich young man to go and sell everything and come and follow, but it means that everything is put at his disposal. And so we look at this and we're like, look, you know, we look at who is Jesus? He's the resurrection and the life. He's all of these things. And we look at the, all the I am statements and we're like, why would, why would I follow because of who he is? And we're like, woo. And then what's reason number two that I would follow because of what he's done? Woo. And then we get over here and we're like, what's it gonna cost? Everything. <laughs> right? But when we look at this, guys, Jesus isn't telling us this to rob us of life. Jesus is telling us this so we can experience true life in him. He's not the one who comes to steal and kill and destroy. He's saying, listen, he says it right here in Matthew 16. If you will lose your life for my sake, you will find it. And you remember last week we talked about this. Was, is it worth it? And I did this little illustration thing where I kind of stared at this hole in my arms and I said, what's on your plate? Because the most of the things on our plate are the things that drive us the most crazy. But we guard it. Had someone tell me this week, they're like, yeah, but what do I do if it's my kid? If that's the thing that causes me the most stress. I can't get rid of them, can I? I'm like, well, that's probably not biblical either. But this is what we did talk about. Sometimes, listen, when we look at our plate and Jesus becomes the plate and he holds it all together and, and he's the one who's really calling the shots as I'm following his direction. And we look at our plate, sometimes God does this. Sometimes God says, look, this needs to go. This is hindering me following you. Remember last week, we looked at Mark chapter 10. I'm not gonna go read it again, but we looked at Mark chapter 10, the rich man who comes to Jesus. Jesus says, look, you've lived a pretty good life. You've done a lot of good things, but look, one thing you like, go sell all your possessions, give it to the poor and then come follow me. And it says the man's countenance fell. His face fell. He became sad. He walked away because he had great wealth. And we look at that and Sometimes Jesus says, listen, this needs to go, not because I just wanna hurt your feelings, but because it's a hindrance to you. And sometimes we look at things and we go, well, I, I can't see how I would be happy if I did it this way. Well, guess what? Sometimes we don't know what we need. Sometimes we don't know what's best. And we have to trust that God does. And so sometimes, not with your kids, but some things, they need to go. It needs to go. Other times, Jesus looks at it and goes, listen, I want to replace that. I want to get rid of it, but I want to replace it. This needs to be added. This needs to go away. And then other times, like with the children, as I was talking, it was actually more than one person. 
we were talking about this. I said, look, it may not be that something's got to go every time. It may be the way you approach it, the way you see it. Maybe it's the way you attempt to control it. The thing may be that we need to see it the way that God sees it, not the way that we're currently seeing it. We don't need to see it through our own lens. We need to see it through God's lens. But what will it cost? It'll cost everything. We yield it all to him. That can be kind of scary. But when I look at who he is and what he's done, the one thing I should walk away from that with is going, I can trust him. I can trust him. When we looked at the question, is it worth it? We looked at it in this way. Is what, what is it, right? What is it? Is it worth it? Well, what is it? Is, is it worth it? And we, we came to this that basically filling that in is, is following Jesus worth taking up my cross and denying myself daily? And then broke it down even further. Is continuing in Jesus' presence worth taking up my cross and denying myself daily so I can follow him, continue in his presence? continually shaped and transformed by him? Is it worth it? And we talked about this. How do I know? How do I know if it's worth it? If what's behind this future door, I talked about that, the game show, let's make a deal. How do I know that what's behind that door is better than what's in my hand? And again, this is kind of a subjective thing. It's kind of a thing that I can't logically talk you into this. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. But we went and we looked at 1 Peter chapter 1. And, and we looked through these verses. And remember, we saw in there that first what begins to happen is in Jesus, we begin to recognize who God is and we come to faith, we come to belief. The second thing that happens in there is we're born again. What happens when we're born again? We come to faith in Christ and the spirit of God comes to dwell in us. We taste the kingdom. We begin to know the father. We, we are given a new heart. And from that taste that the Lord is good, I begin to crave more. As I crave more and I spend more time and I'm walking longer, I grow to maturity. I become prepared to do his work in the world. I grow up in him and then I get rid of anything that hinders relationship with him and other people as I grow to maturity. So how do I know what's behind that door is better than what's in my hand? I know because in Jesus, I see who he is. I see what he's done. The Spirit opens my eyes to the truth. The light of the world shines upon me and I see and I come to faith. When I come to faith, I taste and that taste tells me I want more. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee or the deposit of what's to come. God deposits his Spirit into my heart, into my life. I taste what's to come. The Spirit is the promise of what I haven't yet fulfilled or, or fully realized yet. So I begin to taste, I begin to crave and, and that taste leaves me wanting more. So what is it when we follow? What is it when we follow? I'll wrap it up with this. To follow is to continue in his presence, continuing in his presence. 
to walk with him. Following him is not what saves me. It's faith that saves me. But as I come to faith, I begin to follow. I continue in his presence. I continue in his transforming power. He begins to transform me into his image, my intended image from the beginning. And then I continue in his purpose that we would be used as the church, not as a place where we just go to try to hopefully feel better about ourselves. Jesus' sacrifice takes away sin and the condemnation of that sin. It's not just to come in and hope I feel better about myself. It's to be a part of his purpose. We've got to lift our eyes to a higher purpose, to a higher calling that Jesus has called us to. And so as we look at this, following Christ, continuing in his presence, spending time in his word, spending time in community with other believers, spending time in prayer, worship, continuing, being conscious of him in our life, remembering consistently who he is and what he's done and following, truly desiring to dwell in the presence of Jesus. We sang that song, I I pray that that becomes our heart. So I wanna encourage you again, we're being built into something. We're being built into something. It's not just to go through motions. We're being built into something. We're being built with a purpose. We're being built with a plan. We're being transformed with his power. I'm excited to see where this goes. And I hope that for you, you've come to a place where maybe somewhat, you somewhat better understand what it means to follow, why you would follow, what it requires, what it costs, but the reason that we would. I wanna wrap this up I don't know what's going to happen if I close this, but I guess that will. Um, I want to wrap this up by giving you the invitation to come to faith in Christ. You know, spend four weeks talking about what it means to follow. Well, maybe you realize, like, I've never really done that before. I've never committed my life to Jesus. I, Never come to that place of surrendering to him. Might be a lot of going through the motions. But listen, man, I don't want you going through the motions. I don't want this to be a burden for you. I want you to taste that the Lord is good. I want your heart to burn for more of him. I want us to set our face to see his purpose fulfilled. God to raise us up to be a vast army amongst all of his people so that every corner of the earth declares his glory. If you're here and you haven't taken that step of saying, look, yeah, I want to trust Christ with my life, surrendering it all, saying yes to his invitation to continue in his presence. We're either going to be like those disciples who said yes and followed We're going to be like the rich young ruler who turned and walked away. But who's more fulfilled today?
So if you're here and you say yes to Jesus for the first time, this is what I'm going to ask you to do. Just stand up. Just stand to your feet. Let's celebrate it. I promise you, you're probably not the only one that's sensing that. We do it this way. It's not something to be ashamed of. something to celebrate, right? Anybody here today? Good deal. Then I want to pray for us right now that God will continue to build us and then we'll be dismissed. Father, I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for your love for us. The truth of your word, the truth of Christ. Thank you for the spirit who leads us into all truths. I thank you for each person here and the peace of this temple that they are. I pray, God, that you would build us into a temple where you dwell, Lord. Build us and, and continue to build us as we become the church, the glorious church, Lord, that you desire for us to be. And God, send us. Send us, Lord, even into dark places that people can know your name and that, God, your name would be praised everywhere. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.